You can find out more about today's guests' kits and workshops on the Creativity Found website. Simply visit creativityfound.co.uk slash Mary Broddle Embroidery. The link's in the show notes. And then eventually the injuries got such that I could no longer drive. My leg's too weak to use the pedals in a car and I had to take myself off the road because I couldn't drive safely. And that was three years ago and it became impossible to get to work, to keep my job going. You get to a point in life where you're scared to try new things. I've been teaching young children. They don't mind if it's not perfect. They're just happy with what they've done and what they've learned. And there's so much we could learn from that. Because you get the physical, mental and emotional benefits from the process without having to worry and stress whether you're doing it right. You don't have to do things in a traditional way. You can make your own route to do things as well. Hi, I'm Claire, founder of Creativity Found, a community for creative learners and educators connecting adults who want to find a creative outlet with the artists and crafters who can help them do so with workshops, courses, online events and kits. For this podcast, I chat with people who have found or re-found their creativity as adults. We explore their childhood experiences of the arts, discuss how they came to the artistic practices they now love and consider the barriers they may have experienced between the two. We'll also explore what it is that people value and gain from their newfound artistic pursuits and how their creative lives enrich their practical, necessary, everyday lives. For this episode, I'm speaking with Mary Broddle, a former mechanical engineer for the railways. She worked hard and really enjoyed her work in the corporate sphere, but in the background, her health was deteriorating until eventually she had to make the difficult decision to quit it all and focus on her physical, emotional and mental well-being. Let's find out how revisiting a creative pastime helped Mary do just that. Hi Mary. Hello Claire. You have an engineering background which we will learn about more soon but for now tell me what your creative outlet is. My creative outlet is embroidery, mainly hand embroidery. And I try and teach it now with with mindful stitching because I'm a great advocate for embroidery for well-being because I've learned that and used it myself for that. And I want other people to try it as a tool for their well-being. Brilliant. I'm interested to hear more about how the two connect Tell me first, though, about your childhood at home and in education. Were you a creative child? I liked to craft as a child. I remember doing all those craft kits from plaster of Paris moulds that you'd paint to spending hours cutting and sticking those kits for paper castles and houses. And I used to love doing all of that stuff. And I think back in the 80s, you had more time that you had to fill with things like that. So if you were crafty, you got on with that because the telly wasn't on all the time and handheld computers weren't around. So 
yeah, if you liked that sort of thing, and I've always loved colouring in. In fact, my mum says I've got a GCSE in it, which was my graphic design GCSE. <laughs> so um, my childhood was, uh, I was brought up very extremely middle class West London and had a lot of access to the craft, etc. My mum taught me embroidery when I was a girl. So about nine, ten, I got really into it then. And then as the teenage years came, it sort of fell away to trying to keep everything going, going out with your friends and then off to university where I studied engineering. I went to the opposite end of the country and went to Newcastle, which was quite a culture shock. <laughs> um, where I studied mechanical engineering in the 90s and spent a year of my degree in Germany as well. So I've uh, had a wide experience in that respect. But yeah. Yeah, I remember the kind of kits as well. I, you'd always get them for a birthday or Christmas from someone, wouldn't you? And um, I remember there was these ones that were black and you'd carve into them and it would be a gold pattern. <laughs> yes, and I just seem to remember doing some Wedgwood-like plaster of Paris things and Beatrix Potter statues that would be white and you'd paint them. And it, well, you poured them into a floppy mould. Yes. Yes, I had a Beatrix part of one. Anyway, anyway, we digress. Um, so when you say engineering, um, to me, that means crikey, all sorts of things. Tell me about mechanical engineering that you studied and then what happened after university. Well, all I'd ever wanted to be was an engineer from about the age of five. All the men in my family were engineers, my dad as well, though he was, became a builder when I was little. And I just like knowing how things worked. I used to, and even now, it's not just how machines work, it's how processes work, how people's jobs work. I just like to understand things. And I think also that Knight Rider and the A-Team on the telly had a bit of a factor in it. So it's all I ever wanted to do. And I geared all my A-levels towards that, all the maths, physics, etc. And I went and studied mechanical engineering for four years. So mechanical engineering with German, which was hard. I think my finals was the first time I burnt out in my life, to be honest, because I'd done two degrees in two languages, in two countries, in four years. And looking back, yeah. Um, so... I studied mechanical engineering. I loved all the gears. I loved, back in those days, we did the technical drawing as well as computer-aided design. I think we were the last lot to actually sit on a drawing board as well. And I loved all of that. And I loved the flow of the calculations. And again, just understanding how things worked. But it was hard. And then I, when I graduated, I was just applying for jobs. And I got a job in the railways. And I realised there was so much going on there and they hadn't recruited any graduates for nearly 10 years because of privatisation so I was the first wave of graduates to go back in in 99 I started and I've done all sorts of jobs in the railways a lot around risk uh, reliability maintenance improvements safety assessments I did that at some of the big train builders and then I might the last job I had I was a contract manager for a leasing company so I'd go around the train depots of England and Scotland and Wales trying to make sure they were performing well enough and lots of meeting stakeholders and I loved the variety and I love meeting new people and getting to new sets of 
things from reading the contracts to understanding the management structure and how people interacted in the depots. That's what I really enjoyed doing with the odd spreadsheet. I am an Excel fan. I might be a creative now, but I still love a spreadsheet. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I know a few other people who are the same, actually. Um, you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Can you explain what that is and tell me how it has developed, how it's affected you over the years? It's a connective tissue disorder. So my DNA dictates that my collagen is too elastic. It's too stretchy. And the collagen is connective tissue. It's sort of, well, it's mainly in your ligaments. It's in your joints. So you have a wider range of movement and you injure really easily. And you can injure yourself. You can do sprains doing the most everyday things. I can sprain my shoulder trying to wash my hair. So, you know, it's that sort of thing. But it's also connective tissue is in your muscles. It's in your internal organs. So it's a systematic problem. It's not just my knee dislocates or something. And I've had problems with my hands since I was a girl. And then in my 20s, I developed chronic pain. And then as I had kids in my 30s, it just got harder and harder because toddlers are hard work. I have difficult pregnancies. You know, it's physical having children. And I just, it's got harder. And I was trying to hold down, you know, a high powered job, 40 hours a week, even part time, traveling around the country. I did international travel before I had kids. And my body just couldn't hack it anymore. I think chronic stress broke me because my body just takes more energy to do everyday things. It's a bit like if you think you've got a load of programs running in the background that are running slowly, if you think about a computer, and they're taking most of the memory and energy of your computer. So what you're trying to do and work on is sluggish. Well, that's sort of like my body. It's just harder to do normal things. So you have less energy. So I was pushing myself, living on adrenaline. Chronic stress was affecting my immune system. It was affecting my skin was breaking down in places. Got high blood pressure that I can't couldn't get under control. And then eventually the injuries got such that I could no longer drive. My legs too weak to use the pedals in a car. And I had to take myself off the road because I couldn't drive safely. And that was three years ago. And it became impossible to get to work, to keep my job going. Because by that point, I was, it was taking everything I had just to get to my desk or to get on the 6.30 train to Crewe or London or wherever. And and I just had nothing left. And I, I had to take the really difficult decision that I couldn't do it anymore. And I think the driving force that once you can't drive and you can't actually get to work, because the public transport was impossible for me because of the distance from the station. I couldn't walk it. Taxis wouldn't come on to Pride Park in Derby because the traffic was too bad. I still had childcare issues, so I had to get home to pick the kids up. That juggle, but imagine if you can't just keep going. It's a juggle so many people know, but if you can't just leg it to the station to catch the bus or the train at the end of the day, you can't keep it going any longer, and I had to stop. And it was it was hard because it's all I'd ever wanted to do. But I sort of took the view that 
I decided to think about it instead of saying I failed, I took the view that actually I didn't fail. I achieved. I achieved everything sort of my generation was taught to. The high powered job, the 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 high income, I had the kids, I was trying to do it all. And instead of saying no, I did that, but that I can't do that anymore, so what's next? And the pandemic hit just a couple of months after I left my job. And I was starting to look at engineering consultancy rates a couple of days a week, but it would still have been 10 hour days, etc. And all that dried up when the pan locked during the first lockdown, you know, and actually, I think in hindsight, that was a good thing. It stopped me going back in to what I was, but just for fewer hours. Mm. And it made me take stock and think, well, what can I do? Because I'm not traditionally employable anymore because I have problems sitting at desks for long periods of time. I can't walk easily. So it's not like I can stand in a shop can't carry things I am seriously disabled by this I use a mobility scooter out and about I'm waiting on an adapted car that sort of thing I've been stuck at home for the last couple of years um but I've done lockdown before lockdown because I've been three months locked down with pregnancy with foot operations with chest infections it's not new to me anyway um So I thought, well, I've got all these embroidery skills. It's what's kept me sane over 20 years of chronic pain and being stuck in the house a lot. And when I wasn't at work, I didn't have a social life because all my energy went on work. So I'd spend hours at home and I'd sew, I'd stitch, I'd put my feet up on the sofa because I had to rest. And by embroidering, it stopped me getting so frustrated and angry and it kept my mental health on an even keel so imagine you're stuck in the house for three months which we all know what that's like now but imagine if you couldn't have gone on that one hour walk because what's the point if you can't walk and you're a vulnerable person you need to keep away from everyone so it you get angry you get frustrated you want to do things but you can't do things you can't do it when you want Well, what's helped me with that over years and years is just sitting and sewing all sorts of traditional techniques I've done. I've done classes. I've taught myself through kits, all the lovely traditional stuff, but also just more contemporary things, some easier things, different things for different energy levels. See what I feel like, something I can do in front of the telly with the family around or something I can hide myself away for an afternoon and get in that sort of flow state for and really get that feeling of calmness that comes so when you're sitting there all the frustration just sort of dissipates and you feel like you've been productive I really kind of connected there with your computer analogy about what's going on in the background and I've been reading a lot about so-called invisible disabilities you know it it doesn't look like you're you're struggling and um, there's such a lot going on behind the scenes I was also wondering did this, did you have a diagnosis? Did you know about this early on? It, was it explaining things? No, I I remember going frequently to the GP and just being told, well, it's not arthritis or, oh, well, don't wear party shoes. I was an indie kid in the 90s. I wore Caterpillar boots and DMs and I don't wear high heels and so I had all these pains. My hands would seize up if I had to write a lot. And obviously, this was before computers and exams and stuff. It was when, still back in the day when, you know, the secondary school had three BBC micros. 
there was no computers and my thumb would seize up and I just had to carry on writing despite that you know I guess I learned really young just to push through you had to push through the pain barrier because it was just I'd I'd I lived in London so you had to walk a fair way my feet would never stop aching and then it took a lot it wasn't till my university years I realized this wasn't really normal and I actually got I actually went to a doctor's at uni who sent me for a referral and they went back in that day they went you've got hypermobility syndrome yep that's what it is off you go you're very bendy off you go and it all fell into place all the other things you get like easy bruising and stuff like that it all made sense and that's what it continued with till I had children and because I had a very difficult first pregnancy I had a very my first son was born very premature because uh, my waters went and that was connective tissue stuff my second he was fine he was huge anyway he didn't even hit low birth weight seven weeks early Um, so the second time I got sent to a geneticist because they said, oh, there might be some complications. And I live near a big teaching hospital, which I've always been quite grateful for with my issues. And they diagnosed me with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which by that point was considered one and the same as hypermobility syndrome. In the 20 years I've had a diagnosis, there's been so much more understood and discovered about them. When I was a kid, no one had even heard of it. I'm sure it's come from my mum and my grandma, but my grandma was born in 1910, and this wasn't just wasn't recognised till about the 60s. So, who's gonna who's gonna find it? My mum, I think, got misdiagnosed with arthritis in the 70s. So, that's when it sort of came a bit further in in my 30s. I got the diagnosis, by but by this point, I was really struggling physically, and chronic stress we had a difficult year with bereavements etc when the kids were little and it just pushed me over the edge physically I started using a walking stick things like that and then my immune system would go down so I got a chest infection about three years ago I couldn't shift and then I lost more muscle condition so I couldn't my leg was weaker I couldn't drive it's just progressive in that way and I honestly look at myself for two two and a half years of not being in that job in that role in that juggle I look younger than I did five years ago just from the way my skin's changed and stuff like that because I can manage my health better it's still very fragile I feel like it's a part-time job in itself there have been times during all that juggle that I was at the hospital once a week on top of the kids and the 40-hour job and it's like a it's like a hobby or a part-time job in itself just trying to keep yourself going So I've gone into the embroidery world and teaching embroidery because it can offer me the flexibility I need. And that's that's it's a way to work for me that I can use my skills. I can share my passion and I can hopefully earn an income, whereas otherwise I am not employable because I can't sit in front of a computer and I can't stand behind a till, etc, etc. Yeah. Creativityfound.co.uk is the place to go to find workshops, courses, supplies, kits and books to help you get creative. So if you're looking for your own Creativity Found experience, go have a browse to see what's on offer so far. And if you can help adults to find their new creative passion, 
please get in touch on social media or through the contact details on the website. You've touched on sitting on the sofa and being able to um, stitch and calm the mind. You said also that you, you did embroidery when you were younger, but teenagers, blah, 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 that kind of gets put to the side. Did you instantly try that when you were looking for something? How did you kind of come back to embroidery? If you've heard me banging on about the Creativity Found Collective on this show, but are still not sure what it is or if it's right for you, why not jump onto a one-to-one online coffee chat with me and we can talk about your small business and how the Creativity Found promotional and networking membership could help you and your enterprise to thrive. Visit creativityfound.co.uk slash join us or click on the link in the show notes to sign up and book a date and time for us to get together. See you soon. In my mid-twenties, I gave up smoking because, you know, I won't pretend I didn't party hard as an engineering student, work hard, play hard. I gave up smoking and I knew that I'm a fidgety sort of person and I didn't want to eat loads because I'm always trying to keep my weight down. That's another issue, but... And basically, I was in the local John Lewis and I had an epiphany in the haberdashery and picked up a tapestry kit, a needlepoint kit. And I remembered how much I'd loved it as a child. And I picked that up and that was it. I just went went with it. I loved it. I went going. I got more kits. I'd order the magazines. And it, it was before there was a big online presence. There were a couple of specialist stores that had basic websites but I just went for it that way, teaching myself the different techniques through kits and then getting myself on courses. I remember before I had kids, I'd go down to Hampton Court and the Royal School of Needlework to do some of the stuff I found hard to teach myself, uh, like uh, needle painting and stuff. And I loved it. I just found my passion hobby and it was so different to work. That's what I think was good. Like I went to the local embroiderers guilds meetings I'm still the youngest member 20 years on of the local stitching group. The talks and everything, it was just like 180 degrees away from my engineering world. And I really enjoyed it. And I've always been someone who's been the odd one out in whatever room I'm in. I was a woman in engineering from about my GCSEs. I was the only girl in the class. So it didn't bother me turning up to stuff and having to say, you know, this is me, hello can I join you? I just did that happily anyway. Yeah. Do your symptoms restrict you with the stitching? Yeah, they restrict me. There are days where I can't do the projects I want to do because of the way I'd have to sit. So I always have three or four projects on the go at once. So it depends upon the frame. It depends upon how whether you have to sit upright or whether you can pretty much lie down, recline on the sofa depends upon how tired I am and there are days when my hands just hurt too much my knuckles etc so I found I can't knit I can't crochet because it's too much pressure on my fingers on my joints in my hands but actually just pulling a needle and thread through material is so much lighter if you've got stands to hold the hoop etc I can manage that So there are always different things on the go that I can turn to when I need it. Yeah. Oh, well, that's brilliant that you can 
adapt and you can still do what you want to be doing. I'm going to come back to the change in engineering as a work, as a job and embroidery as a job with the teaching. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. But tell me a bit more about mindful stitching that you've also already touched on. You've mentioned the kind of traditional ideas of embroidery. And I know you do that as well as uh, modern stuff and the mindful stitching and visible repairs. So tell me about all of those elements of embroidery that we might not necessarily know or think of straight off. Mindful stitching is is about stitching without worrying where the stitches are going. It's like doodling and thread. I've seen so many people say oh I'd love to do that but I can't do it well enough because they've never stitched before or they expect it to be perfect or they do the design and it's not as it looks in the picture so they're disappointed with themselves and that could be because you know I know a lot of high achievers who expect perfection they like the houses to be nice and tidy and insta-worthy and stuff and also I think you get to a point in life where you're scared to try new things I've been teaching young children they don't mind if it's not perfect. They're just happy with what they've done and what they've learned. And there's so much we could learn from that. So mindful stitching is just a piece of material, no design, needle and thread. I teach you some basic stitches and you just go for it because you get the physical, mental and emotional benefits from the process without having to worry and stress whether you're doing it right and unpicking. And actually trying to persuade people not to unpick because the line isn't totally straight or just just go for it. Just doodle in thread. You can do so much with the most basic running stitch. You can play with colour. You can play with shape. You can layer it. You don't have to be able to do really fancy stuff to do it. You just have a go and you get that relaxation. Your stress levels are proven to lower in your blood. Different parts of your brain start lighting up so your reward center lights up so your amygdala where you are with your anxiety and your adrenaline and your fight and flight it actually calms it down and i can test uh, you know my testament to that that has helped me so many times because i live on adrenaline at times to push through when i'm in pain and the stitching just helps that calm down so it's brilliant for your stress levels and learning a new skill with any creativity, any new skill, it builds new brain synapses in your brain. So it's brilliant for brain health. It's great against aging because it helps your brain just keep working and trying new things. And no crafter ever has said that's perfect. Even the most experienced people will say, I could do better. So you're on that continual learning journey as well. And I find with mindful stitching and with embroidery, it it just takes enough concentration, that mindful element that your thoughts calm and it gives you a bit of time to contemplate. So you get that emotional well-being, it puts things in perspective so the racing thoughts calm down because you're just focusing enough not to stab yourself with a needle and that's what I try and teach and to get people to relax. And I have, I have kits with everything you need in it, including the scissors, you know. It makes absolute sense and you've backed it up with the science as well there yeah well 
I am still an engineer by nature. I want to know how it works. So I've been researching it all. I've been researching the neuroscience, which is akin to, you know, art therapy and occupational therapy. I've been researching that. And I've been looking into the history of how over hundreds of years, embroidery, sewing, etc., has brought communities together and it's brought people together. And I think it's great for groups coming together, for team building, for parties, for just a different way for friends to meet up. And it's brilliant for Zoom because, as I said, the pressure's taken off and it includes introverts, which I think often with these things, it's all about the people who are happy being in the limelight and everything. But if everyone's looking down at their sewing rather than at your face, you're happier to talk and add your two penicillin. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way. But the, the community aspect is is certainly very important in lots of creative activities. My background is, you know, drama and singing and singing together has a whole um, different effect on the brain than than the wonderfulness of singing on your own does, you know, the extra benefits. You must really enjoy teaching for that community element, but also for the fact of imparting maybe a new skill or your passion. I'm amazed at how much I do enjoy it. When I was trying to take stock of what I could do when I lost it, I realised what I really missed from my old job was meeting people, which sounds a bit odd for an engineer as we're all supposed to be antisocial and, you know, lost in maths. But I I actually really enjoy meeting people. People are fascinating. And I realised by teaching that was a way I could do that still. And I'm surprised at the patience I have for showing people how to thread a needle over and over again. Because I will show you how to knot the thread and thread the needle and do the basic stitches. And I always thought I'd never make a teacher, but I found the right thing to teach for me. And I think because it is something I'm passionate about and it's something I've lived, it's not just something that I thought I could do, if you see what I mean. It's not just, oh, well, there's a gap in the market for that. It's like, no, this is my passion hobby. that I'm sharing these skills because I know it can help other people, you know, do some sewing instead of having two glasses of wine every night. You can do it in front of the telly with everyone around. You don't have to find silence to do meditation you can just do it and get the benefits without having to find that time you don't think you have so I'm like stitch don't drink less of a hangover (laughs) okay before I get on to contacting you you've been loving the embroidery and it's been helping you on a personal mental well-being physical well-being journey And you've said you enjoy sharing that passion and teaching other people. How does the process of combining a creative love to, I'd actually quite like to make some money out of this, so I need to give a bit of a business head to it. How have you found putting those two together? And do you still have a better balance for your general health and well-being I very much about two two years ago nearly yeah nearly two years ago sat there and said okay I've got these skills how can I how can I turn it into an income and I found some online courses around business models for creatives and stuff and I've tried various things I've tried making my own art and selling it which I then learned that people would rather make it themselves than pay for your time to make it 
I also learned that I physically cannot cope with craft fairs. So that had to go. I felt like it was sacrilege saying, I'm, I'm doing this for a business, but I'm not going to do craft fairs. So I've been trying lots of different things. And with support from online business networks and people like you, Claire, and just the creative community out there online is so supportive. I've sort of found my way and I've found that teaching workshops, teaching team building, trying to get into social prescribing, that's the way to go to go out and teach it. But it's a lot longer than I thought it would be. I suppose if you sit back and you think, oh, I'll be making enough to pay the mortgage in six months and I'm 18 months in and I'm not, it's longer. So you sort of almost need that naivety but I know I'm on something. I found my niche now and that's mindful stitching, which also then leads to visible mending and clothes embellishments because that's about darning and making a feature of patching your holes in your jeans and stuff like that, which actually is very much linked to the same same sort of stitch as you, you can do in mindful stitching. But it's there's a big market out there for people who don't want to buy new clothes so let's make those secondhand clothes unique to you people are really interested in that and again it's like my passion is sewing where's the market and I've sort of identified three markets that I'm trying to attract be it on LinkedIn with corporates be it with creatives and social prescribing with mindful stitching be it with the eco community and the students around jazzing up secondhand clothes I think you've got to be have more than one string to your bow to make it turn into a job. And it comes back to my engineering training with problem solving. How can you take an idea and turn it into a business? And actually, I've really enjoyed it. I love learning. I'm enjoying the learning curve. It's taken me so out of my comfort zone, especially marketing, which I find the hardest bit. But you just, what's the building blocks? What's the steps? It's testing things. What works? What doesn't? Right, here's my niche. People want to learn rather than to buy stuff I've made. Let's go there. It's given me a lot better balance for my health-wise because I don't have to turn up unless I've got a workshop. Now, I don't want anyone to ever think I'd cry off a workshop or something because I hurt too much that day. You know, I am the queen of pushing through. But what I no longer have to do is push through six days a week. So I can do my physio after I've done the school run, then do some work, then have a nap, pick the kids up, do another couple of hours work. I can set my pattern rather than be expected to do other people's. And that's really helped my health and got me on a steady keel. Like as the doctor said to me, the other, steady's fine, steady's good. I might not be going up, but I'm not going down. And I really think if I hadn't have stopped, I would have, was heading for a heart attack or a stroke before 50. And that's quite a scary thing to realise. But I'm determined. And, you know, I'm just changing my achieving pattern in my life. What I've always done from academia and corporate world into creative entrepreneur. And it is hard. It is hard going starting a business in a completely different world where you have no contacts so I think for 18 months I've been building a network and now I'm getting that foundation I'm getting somewhere you know I'm not going to sell many uh stitching 
kits to uh, a lot of the middle-aged men who love their Land Rovers that I used to work with and cycling. <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased for you. I'm pleased for everybody that will uh, get to learn from you as well. But I'm so pleased that you've found this and we know it's hard work, but that it gives you a balance and you can use it your way. Well, I always think there's always something you can do. Don't get fixated on what you can't do. What can you do? And that's something I guess I've always done. There's no point getting down saying, well, I can't do this anymore. I can't do that anymore. What can I do? Because my world's gone from international travel to being stuck in my house. But I, I'm not in great gloom because I'm building connections over Zoom. I'm building new network. I'm meeting, I had a Zoom with a thread company in Canada yesterday because I've gotten their teacher program. You don't have to do things in a traditional way. You can make your own route to do things as well. And I guess my unusual upbringing with my parents who were 60s dropouts taught me that. <laughs> we didn't even touch on that. No. <laughs> you don't you don't be stuck in a job you hate that's making you ill because there's always something you can do. That is a very brilliant positive upbeat end point there. So on that note, how can people connect with you? I have my own website, marybroddleembroidery.com, which has uh, my background story and has sort of my offerings on it. I'm quite present on Instagram, where I'm marybroddle underscore embroidery, and on LinkedIn, marybroddle. All I've got social media presence on most of them, on some variation on marybroddle embroidery with a dash in there somewhere. But that's all via my website. And I'm always happy to hear from people via my email, via DMs on social media, because as I said, I just love sharing my passion and I want people to try embroidery, to give it a go, even if they think it's too difficult, too hard, they can't do it well enough. Just give it a go and see how you feel. I love in my workshops just watching people chill out and they're all sitting going, oh, actually, this is lovely. Like, yes, it is. Try it. Instead of telling me you're too busy, that's why you need to do it. Very good. Oh, that's been really, really lovely. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Mary. Oh, I've loved it, Claire. Thanks so much for listening to Creativity Found. If your podcast app has the facility, please leave a rating and review to help other people find us. On Instagram and Facebook, follow at Creativity Found Podcast. And on Pinterest, look for at Creativity Found. And finally, don't forget to check out creativityfound.co.uk, the website connecting adults who want to find a creative outlet with the artists and crafters who can help them tap into their creativity. When I created the Creativity Found website and the collective membership, I had no previous knowledge regarding the technical aspects of making an idea into a reality, a bit like when I started this podcast. I came across Kajabi, which allowed me to build the website so that visitors can easily find the creative classes, kits or supplies they are looking for through pages that look inviting and that showcase my members' talents. 
Kajabi also handles the membership, my mailing list and newsletters, the online community, taking payments, and it's where I host the Creativity Found Collective online meetups. If you're interested to learn more about how Kajabi can help you run and streamline your small business, you can find an affiliate link in the show notes and receive a 14-day free trial.